literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? to another episode of Love That Album. Uh, thanks for tuning in, or should I say downloading. We're not on the airwaves, we're on the internet. So uh, thanks however you've chosen to download this from the website or from iTunes. Uh, Morris is my name, and this week I have with me not Jeff Jenkins, who I've had over the last couple of episodes, but uh, my good friend Jeff Smith. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Morris. How are you going? Oh, very well, thank you. And uh, thanks very much for uh, being a part of this. Now, um, for those of you who've been uh, listening to all the previous episodes, might be aware of uh, my anguish. We had uh, episode two was where Jeff and I did an experiment uh, over Skype recording an episode about um, John Hyatt, meet the family, bring the family, bring, 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 bring. <laughs> I, I, I can't get it right. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, straight. Anyway, so we recorded, uh, we recorded an episode a few weeks back. And first of all, due to my own stupidity of uh, deleting half the episode by accident, and then through technical issues when we attempted to re-record it, um, our whole album discussion thing fell by the wayside, unfortunately. So all we ended up putting online was just Jeff and me gaffing on, I think, a little bit about uh, Hyatt's early career and what we've been listening to. So we might have to throw in a few Hyatt references into uh, this episode, I think. But uh, our main purpose for this episode, uh, the album of Focus is going to be, uh, is it 1998? 1997. 1997. Uh, album by Steve Earle, El Corazon. Um, or would that be pronounced El Corazon? I think you're right there. Corazon. Uh, El Corazon. Let's get, that, let's get our uh, Spanish pronunciation right. Uh, so, yeah, a little bit later on the show, Jeff and I will be uh, uh, expounding at length our thoughts about uh, that album. And, um, yeah, we're looking forward to that. But before we do, Jeff, it's been a few weeks since we spoke. So uh, what have you been listening to since we last spoke? Um, somewhat predictably, if um, anyone heard bits of the, the Hyatt thing two weeks ago, whenever, we, whenever it was, um, Elsie by the Horrible Crows. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I just for a change. Didn't um, know you were a fan. No, still, uh, still loving that album, um, as someone around here says. And, uh, yeah, I've been listening to a fair bit of Social Distortion. I don't know if you're familiar with their work. Uh, mm. Southern California, Orange County, uh, rock and roll meets punk. They get called punk, but, you know, the resemblance to what I know of punk music is, is, is not there. Mm. It's, it's, uh, it's fast, it's hard, it's, it's kind of Gaslight Anthem area. It's, you know, Johnny Cash on speed, really. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, really good there. Most recent, recent recording, Hard Times and Nursery Rhymes. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a real good, uh, real good romp of an album. Um, I would highly recommend it to you. I haven't heard, um, haven't heard them, but I mean, would they compare to something like the uh, the Super Suckers? Um, different, different. I think more, slightly more melodic. Mm. Um, more on your, more in your rock, rock and roll country kind of roots. Mm. 
Um, yeah, I saw them. Um, only got to hear about them really. I saw them last year, or was it earlier this year? I forget when they toured over here with um, with the Gaslight Anthem. Mm. Um, I went along to see the Gaslight Anthem, and uh, obviously stayed on for Social Distortion because I'd paid my eighty bucks or whatever <laughs> it was, and, yeah. and really, really loved them. You know, the guy Mike Ness, the the lead singer and uh, you know lead guitar player, he can actually write a pretty good, pretty good song. Um, also, I've been uh, catching up with some old Steve Earle, some old favourites. I've got a few boots of Steve from uh, years gone by. I remember listening to him uh, live in Cologne. Um, interesting hearing Steve trying to speak German when he's either out his face on something or getting close. <laughs> you know, it's uh, kind of amusing. But, you know, the, the Dukes, when they get going, they really are a, a really good band. You know, they can really carry an audience and carry a show and... You know, turn it up to 11 out of 10 and get going. Mm. You know, it's uh, good stuff. So, um, anything else that's been grabbing your attention? Uh, I should mention my encounter with Meatloaf on the uh, iPod, which I actually quite enjoyed, but we won't dwell on that, I don't think. I think you're probably one of the few people left in Australia who's got some con words to say about Meatloaf, I'd think. Yeah, I saw his grand final performance, or uh, fiasco, or whatever it should be, uh, yeah. For those of you listening overseas who might not be aware, although I guess with uh, the social media nowadays everyone would know, um, uh, Meat, or Mr Loaf, as he might be known more popularly, uh, performed at uh, the uh, local football code, the AFL grand final, and his performance was nothing short of... Uh, yeah. A shambles, a schmazzle. It wasn't wasn't very impressive. Um, more screamed rather than sang. Um, yeah, if it wasn't for his backing singer, I think he would have just he would have been booed off stage and you know thrown out of Australia before he could even do his own shows yeah. later in the month. Yeah, I'm not really sure why he was asked, but uh, maybe someone at the AFL knew someone who knew someone who had a copy of Bat Out of Hell. Yeah, could possibly have been. And probably Bat Out of Hell too at that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear, alright, well, yep, so, um, as for myself over the last few weeks, um, yeah, I've been listening to quite a few things, uh, but just a, I guess three or four things I'll make mention of, um, I've, I've been getting into an old, I've been getting into the music of, um, recently of a band called Lost Straight Jackets, uh, who've been around for quite a long while as it turns out, but, you know, the usual story of my life, I tend to pick up on bands you know, years after the fact they may still be around I don't know if any one of you out there know uh, send me an email let me know uh, leave a note on the website but uh, Lost Straight Jackets I think in possibly the only thing that they might have in common with Kiss is that I don't think anyone knows who they are facially um, unlike Kiss they don't wear uh, makeup but they wear um, wrestling masks so they do their music is uh, I guess the closest I can compare to would be surf type music um, surfing music with uh, wrestling masks and um, first I heard of them I think I was looking up something on uh, YouTube about the music of um, the, the music from Midnight Cowboy which I've always had uh, strong affection for the movie and uh, some of the music from that um, is quite iconic and then came across a film clip of um, Lost Straight Jackets doing the main theme from Midnight Cowboy, and, and <laughs> but in a sort of a slow surf music style, and I, I was hooked. So um, yeah, they got quite a few good albums out, uh, which I've since picked up on. But uh, the one in particular that I've been listening a fair bit to has been uh, Lost Straight Jackets in concert, and uh, as well as some of their own uh, originals. Uh, they do uh, a few um, 
uh, at least two or three uh, movie or TV show related themes. So there was a Midnight Cowboy, uh, the theme from the Munsters, which really turns out a treat surf style, and uh, the um, the Magnificent Seven. It works in surf guitar, it really does. Um, and yeah, a few other, a few of their own original things. But uh, if you haven't heard them, I'd highly recommend Lost Straight Jackets. Um, I got a box set. I normally don't indulge except at birthday time, but um, I couldn't resist this. Uh, Loudon Wainwright, who's a singer I've long admired, um, has put out a box set called 40 Odd Years. And uh, I have a few Loudon Wainwright albums, but um, given that he's, re- he's been very prolific and has recorded so much, there was plenty on this that I didn't have. And it resembled something like really good value. Three albums of uh, of uh, some previously released material, one CD of oddities and rarities, and a three-hour DVD of uh, concerts and TV show appearances, and a, a BBC appearances special. So, uh, even if you uh, have a bit of uh, Loudon Wainwright the Third already, uh, you do quite well to search out this box set. Um, and let's see what else here. Oh yeah, I picked up um, a CD which had. Um, uh, two classic albums on the one by soul singer Millie Jackson. Now um, she's probably quite f- most famous for uh, a, a tune called "If Loving You Was Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right," which uh, here in Australia Renee Geyer had made a, a great cover version of many years ago. Um, and this uh, was recorded, I think, seventy-two, seventy-three. There were two albums. Uh, one called "Caught Up." The second one was called "Still Caught Up." And it was, an, it was a concept album, or they were, they were both concept albums. The idea being uh, that side one of the first record was a bunch of songs sung from the perspective of a, um, a, a, of a woman who's uh, having an affair with a married man. Uh, and the second side of the album was recorded from, uh, the, sung from the perspective of, uh, of uh, the wife of the married man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the first side, you know, the... The the, uh, the lover is singing, oh, look, you know, I'm going to confront your wife. I just want to be with you. And if loving you is wrong, well, I don't want to be right. Yeah, you might have children and a happy wife and all that, but if you really love them, you wouldn't be with me anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's get it on. And then on the second side, the uh, the angry the angry wife uh, vents her spleen, vents her frustration uh, until they finally get to the, uh, the end of side one, which is absolutely a beautiful song I've heard. Um, Bette Midler do a cover version of it many years ago in her film Divine Madness, a song called Summer the First Time. And it ends off the album, even though you know, this wife has been quite bitter about what her husband has done to her, she goes back and recalls the first time they met and how wonderful it was. And rather than sort of saying, where did it all go wrong? She recalls, well, how did we get started the first time? What do I remember about you that was good? And it was a nice way to end off the album. Musically, um, it's a bit of a... I imagine a bit of a lost soul classic. I don't know that it's uh, referred to uh, that much, certainly not in the mainstream music uh, world, although I'm sure soul aficionados, every one of them would have this album. Then she went off and recorded a follow-up album called Still Caught Up. And I think this is more, wow, that first album sold a shitload. I'll just do it again. Um, uh, And musically it's fantastic, but story-wise it doesn't really progress except stupidly the end of uh, the second album has the uh, lover being taken away in a uh, in a in a, in a, an ambulance to um, 
to a mental hospital. I think she uh, <laughs> she she loses her loses her nuts, loses her peanuts, or loses her noogies, or whatever you want to call it. And it's it's a little bit ridiculous, but uh, um, but it comes as a two two albums on the one CD. So if you can track that down, Millie Jackson's caught up and still caught up. Um, yeah, really wonderful music there, especially if you're a soul fan. If you're not, um, search it out anyway, because um, still some uh, some great tunes there, great concept album. Now, I know there was something else that I've been listening to a fair bit of late, but I can't quite remember. Oh, well, I'm not going to let this drag on. Oh, well, never mind. I'll save it for next time. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, Jeff and I will now go uh, into talking about Steve Earl after we've had uh, just a little bit of a break. We'll be back in a minute. This is Rach on Film from the Girls on Film Radio. Are you tired of all those vegetarian or vegan podcasts? We just listened to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema had to say about the Girls on Film Radio. A lot of good meat in there. There's a lot of good meat in there uh, that the girls talk about. You guys got a lot of nice meat over there at the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So there you have it. The meaty film discussion by meaty women. Listen to Girls on Film Radio. Girlsonfilm.podomatic.com. And we're back. Thanks very much for uh, listening in. Morris here. Jeff there. Oh, again. Again. Still here. Mm, indeed. And uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we're going to be talking about Steve Earle's El Corazon album on this program let's talk a little bit first about steve earl's uh history because uh, <laughs> he certainly has the sort of uh history that i think hollywood's make itching to make a film about yeah he's definitely someone that would uh, well i think they'd have to make a trilogy really <laughs> you know the, the life and near death of steve earl yeah however many times near death you know so tell me a little bit about when when you first heard steve earl First time I ever heard Steve Earle was in a club in Edinburgh and they were playing, I don't know why, but they played um, Johnny Come Lately off uh, Copperhead Road, the song that Steve recorded with the Pogues. Mm. Um, and I was a big Pogues fan at the time. I'd never heard of Steve Earle. Had a you know, 16, 17-year-old's hatred of country music, but just loved this song. And... Uh, you know, managed to managed to work out what it was called, and you know, the next day, rushed out to to find out if I could get it, and there it was, Copperhead Road, and loved the album, uh, still do, still think it's great. There's a couple of really really great songs on there. Um, the title track obviously is great. Um, yeah, there's a couple of not so good ones on there. Um, Steve Earle's uh, own effort, uh, what's it called, uh, Nothing But a Child. Steve's effort at a Christmas song. Oh, um, it kind of works, but yeah. you know, in, in, in other ways, it, it kind of works like the uh, the Proclaimers doing the Steve Earle song, oh, which is, of course, its name has completely gone out of my head now. Um, <laughs> Can't help you. No, it's not called that. It'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, come back to me later, and I'll just throw it into the conversation out of left field. But no, and then, you know, obviously, then he, he released. Um, the other kind shortly after that, um, which I really love as well. You know, I think that's a great, great song. And was lucky enough that just around that time he toured and played in Edinburgh with the Dukes, um, which was the first time I'd ever seen live on stage someone playing an instrument called a mando blaster, which is like a an electric mandolin. It looked like a 
it looked like a, a, a shrunken guitar. It was it was quite an amusing thing, but it made a hell of a racket, and it was great, you know. Was it going Was it going through a tube screamer? I've no idea what it was going through. It was just it, <laughs> again, it was turned up to eleven out of ten. And it, it was brilliant, you know. I really loved that. It was a fantastic night. I can still remember. I can still remember that night, you know, where I was standing in the in the audience, and you know, all these guys with the leather jackets on, and me with my leather jacket on and mm. my, my you know I bought the t-shirt which I've still got and you know it was really uh, really really got into Steve Earle a big way then and you know went and checked out all the back catalogue up till that point and you know sort of started experimenting with country music which you know you're always brought up in Scotland you know whatever you do don't experiment with drugs or country music <laughs> um, they'll both re- lead you down a track to uh, of, uh, of no good and yeah well I followed Steve Earle down a lot of his tracks of no good and well, you know, it's largely been great. It's a, a fantastic artist. I just, you know, I can't, I can't um, praise him highly enough. I do. There's, you know, he's got a song for every occasion. Mm. Um, he should maybe leave the Christmas songs alone, right enough. But um, yeah, you know, fantastic. He can, he can rock it up with the best of them. Um, he can play acoustically on his own. You know, quietly with the best of them. He can just stand there and talk to an audience, and you know, even that works too. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to waffle on a bit here. I think I'll hand back to Morris. No, no, waffle on. That's what this is about. Any other thoughts? Um, yeah, I was. Well, I've, I've said to you before that um, you know, after, sort of after that period, um, Steve himself, his life went uh, even worse, and he went and had what he calls his vacation in the ghetto. Um, I think when he was basically existing to take drugs and drink alcohol, um, and uh, you know, it was a fairly black time and. He wasn't recording much at that stage, and you know, one thing led to another. He wound up in jail um, uh, when you know he got sober and clean around that time, and, and came out. Um, one of the inmates told him on his way out that he never wanted to see him back in the joint, and you know, he better go out there and record a couple of really good records. And so Steve came out and recalled, recorded, I think, "Trainer Coming." He did. And, and I feel uh, all right. I feel all right, and which were hailed as you know classics. And uh, then he followed that up with El Corazon, which, um, you know, until until very recently, until again talking to Morris, it's one of the one of the Steve Earle albums that I have to be quite honest and say, um, yeah, I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. I don't much like uh, Trainer Coming, um, probably because I haven't listened to it much. It didn't grab me much at the time. Um, it it may do again if I go back because. Uh, I think around that time I, I just sort of lost the ability to identify with Steve Earle. You know, he'd um, he'd changed his ways a bit. He was no longer that angst-ridden, um, desperate, angry, depressed um, guy that he was before he, he sobered up and cleaned up. And uh, you know, I, I couldn't really identify him now. But you know, since I've, since things have changed for me in my life, I'm going back to his his music again. I think I'm beginning to hear the message that's that's more relevant to the way my life is now. And I've really enjoyed this last week uh, going through El Corazon again and you know I've vaguely remembered the songs and vaguely remembered some of the issues and you know really getting back there and thinking wow this is uh, this is a really great record so I guess the next thing I'm going to have to do is uh, go back to I Feel Alright and uh, particularly Train A Coming and mm. you know see what I can make of that because I know it's a very very special album Train A Coming to to Morris and to mm. another friend of ours, John in Sydney, uh, he says that that album oh, helped, helped him out a lot because uh, he was, you know, at the other side of the world from his wife at one stage, and uh, one of the only CDs he had because he'd moved and all the rest of it was that that record, and it just got him through a dark time in his life, and mm. you know, so yeah, I'll probably go back and uh, and give it a listen. I'm sure uh, Steve's magic will be in there somewhere. You know, mm. the, all these guys can't be wrong. It's it's interesting you mentioned the. Uh 
the Holy Trinity, as it were, because uh, uh, Trainer come and uh, I feel all right, and El Corazon, or El Corazon, the, the three albums that sort of got his uh, uh, rejuvenation, as it were, after after prison. Um, uh, Trainer coming was pretty much where I jumped on board, uh, <laughs> as it were. Um, the uh, my first, like a lot of people, I guess in Australia, first knowledge of uh, Steve was through um, uh, Copperhead Road and Guitar Town being reasonably big hits down here. But I don't know, I just sort of felt not too uh, light, light on melody, too heavy on too heavy on uh, cock rock, too heavy on machismo. Uh, I don't have a problem with machismo and rock, but you know, I guess I was looking for more of a melody than what I got. And I, 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 I guess I should go back to those albums because you know, just hearing a couple of the hits sort of didn't do much for me, but I know that enough people praise and I know that Uncut Magazine, uh, which I uh, was reading recently in an issue about Steve Earle had uh, praised Copperhead Road as a, as a, as a classic. So uh, that needs to be revisited, I guess. Um, but Trainer Coming was certainly where I first got the interest in the, uh, I think one of our local um, uh, street papers here had uh, given a glowing review to Trainer Coming and talked about him coming out of jail and he'd gone and done this acoustic record and I thought, all right, let's see what this is all about. And I guess, as I was saying to you off air before, that um, that was probably my first, it, well, maybe not my first, but close to my first taste of country music that I liked. Up, everything up until then, I guess, I associated country music with uh, the ridicule of the good old boys and the blues <laughs> brothers, you know, uh, the, 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 the twang, and um, I didn't ever really take it seriously. And Steve's mm. not only responsible for me, well, from this point, liking his music, but having the maturity to go in and look further afield to uh, other artists. And, and you know, um, as, a result of, as a result of him, I now appreciate Emmylou Harris. Uh, I, I, well, maybe... Uh, maybe some of the more country material because I mean before then it come Wrecking Ball but I don't by any stretch of the imagination consider Wrecking Ball or Red Dirt Girl to be country records yeah. um, uh, Gillian Welsh who um, I absolutely think is just about the greatest songwriter on the planet um, country songwriter and, and I, I guess in a way you know, Steve Earle might have been my uh, yeah. my thoroughfare through to, uh, through to her have you ever found yourself going back to people like um, Hank Williams? Um, Hank, Hank Williams, the original Hank Williams, yeah. not Hank Williams the second. He was uh, dreadful, and you know, Hank Williams the third, who's let's not touch that, is uh, something else. <laughs> um, yeah, look, to a small degree, I've, I've like heard you know, uh, one or two anthologies, so I've not really sort of gone down any uh, sort of major Hank Williams road, but a little bit, yeah, and certainly do appreciate that the man was a very, very fine songwriter. Mm. Um, and possibly the only reason that Hollywood hasn't chosen to make a film about him is because he ended up blowing his brains out. And rather than, he, he unlike Ray Charles or Johnny mm. Cash, the love of a good woman didn't redeem him. No. <laughs> so uh, so uh, that's possibly why they didn't touch. But really, his life is all the makings of a, oh, classic. a, of a, of a great film, I would think. I mean, there's a lot of great country music out there. You know, it's not, like you said, it's not all... Um, my dog lost his leg in San Antonio kind of stuff. You know, it's, uh, there, are, there is some good, some really good stuff out there. I mean, yeah, you mentioned a, a few there. Johnny Cash, um, Nancy Griffiths, mm. um, Amy Lou, of course. Um, you know, there's, there's just heaps of stuff out there. That's, Alison Krauss. Yep. 
you, you know the list the list goes on and on and mm. on but you know it's like any genre of music you know there's there's a lot of garbage out there if you mm. uh, if you look hard enough or you, you don't really need to look hard enough um not mentioning any shania twins in particular <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> i actually quite like some of her stuff let's be honest but you know uh, yeah there's, there's a lot of good stuff out there and um it's funny how you, you, you sort of shy away from Hank Williams III because he's got quite a bit in common with Steve Earle. Mm. You know, there's a lot of similar issues there and a lot, there's a lot of music is quite quite similar too, but I think when they, uh, when they hand out the awards for uh, being a good singer-songwriter, they'll probably not go anywhere near Hank Williams III. <laughs> <laughs> they'll probably give them to Steve, well, more than they already have. Have you um, listened to any of uh, Justin Townsville? I have listened to a couple of Justin Tanzel's uh, records. Um, I, I couldn't name them. Um, I'm fairly sure you gave them to me. Um, yes, and I did like them, and they're on the list to go back and, and listen to life. again. Um, the Good Life, Midnight at the Movies, and was the third one Harlem River Blues, I think. I haven't listened to that one quite as much, but the first two are um, just wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did remember liking them sort of almost... You know, on, on first listen and thinking, you know, I need to go back and need to go back and listen to these these properly. But I probably got distracted by you know that shiny new album by Bruce Springsteen or something like that <laughs> at the time. So, but no, that is definitely on the definitely on the list to, to it, go back. It's and, an interesting thing about Justin Townsville because you you know we typically associate um, we typically associate most uh, you know the, the the offspring tend to be. Uh, maybe less conservative than um, than their parents were, but uh, musically speaking, uh, you know, Steve Earle's gone and worn his political heart on his sleeve very much. One thing you couldn't miss. Certainly, Ronnie Reagan was not going to mistake any song that he that, <laughs> that, uh, that he recorded for a uh, political no. campaign. Uh, but uh, Justin Townsell has really tended to stick mostly to. Um, I guess songs of the heart, songs of love, which Steve does too, but uh, but you know musically, I guess a little bit more traditional than uh, than his father has. Uh, Justin has been, um, I think he's been to Australia maybe like three times or something like that in the last couple of years. He's uh, quite loved, and obviously he has a thing for uh, the country here. So uh, hopefully he'll be back soon. I actually haven't had a chance to see him yet, but um, if he comes out regularly, I'll. Dad, I have no excuse. No, I'll definitely be hoping to go and see him too. If he mm. comes out here, well, maybe he'll come out with his dad. Mm. That odd now, that'd be a double, a double feature. It could be an interesting. I mean, I mean, Justin's played on a couple of Steve Earle songs. Yeah. Um, there's one on El Corathon. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember who it was that said it, but you know, Morris, you touched on Steve Earle's political stuff there, and mm. how Justin sticks more with the, the sort of affairs of the heart. Um, somebody did once say that sometimes a lot of Steve Earle's. Um, political posturing and political shouting actually distracts us from the fact that he can write a damn good love song mm, he can you know some of the best and there's you know well there's two or three on El Corathon as well that we'll, we'll no doubt talk about a bit later well actually I, I guess one song I'll bring up now which is because it's not an El Corazon uh, and if no other song I mean I love all of Trainer Coming but if there was one song that I had to uh single out if I had to take you know never mind take a whole album to a desert island if I could only take one song to the desert island at least out of Steve Earle's collection it would have to be Goodbye um, it's a absolutely beautiful lyric um, uh, and gorgeous melody uh, I guess sort of a song of regret of how things turned out um, uh, in this relationship between this couple but um, yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. Really, really beautiful tune. 
Um, so I urge you to uh, search out Trainer Cummin uh, and that song if you haven't already heard it and for that matter search out uh, Emmylou Harris's Wrecking Ball mm-hmm. album to hear her version very very different so more the uh, I, I guess uh, you know, the production values of Daniel Lanois it, it would be interesting to see what Daniel Lanois would have done on a Steve Earle album all his albums sound very compressed and Daniel Lanois I think sort of goes a bit more to the Phil Spector school of yeah, production yeah. values. It would be an interesting one, definitely. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. The Amy Lou Harris is 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 what definitely what's searching out. Um, especially if you can get her on uh, DVD. Mm. Um, always worth a look at Amy Lou Harris. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, uh, that's uh, enough of our uh, prelude. We'll um, take another quick break and then uh, we'll get into El Corazon. I'm coming to you live and in living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silva, sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you, stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy, and all points in between. They'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's carcass hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold, we talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. And we're back. You're uh, listening to Love That Album. Morris here, Jeff there. And um, yeah, we've had a fair old time talking about Steve himself. Um, to the album itself, the album of uh, the afternoon, El Corazon. Now, it's, it's interesting, this album starts off very politically. Uh, and you sort of you know, get the impression, oh, is this where this album is going to go? But it's not, and it was interesting when I was doing my last program with uh, Jeff Jenkins and told him I was going to be doing this show with you, and he said, oh, out of, out of uh, curiosity, why is it that you picked El Corazon, El Corazon? And I said, because this album really in some ways is um, a pot of history of, uh, of uh, Steve Earle. There's, if you want songs about politics, you got them. You want... Uh, Bob Dylan-esque, Bruce Springsteen type narratives, you've got them. You want songs about love, you've got them. You want something that rocks hard, you've got it. You want bluegrass, you've got it. You want a mid-tempo country rock number, you've got it. You want some gospel, you've got it. It's all here. In a way, uh, if you weren't to be a completist, this would be the one album to have, in in my opinion, I guess. But uh, yeah, if you want an artist looking for his his own new direction and wondering where to go and having a bit of a midlife crisis, then you've got it. it. <laughs> um, as uh, we were speaking about um, before we started recording this, uh, I made mention to Jeff. I don't know when did you come to Australia first? Two thousand. All right, so you would have missed this. Uh, for any of you in Australia who will remember the. Um, 
uh, the Waterside crisis during the Howard government, uh, the Wharfies who were sacked from their job, and uh, that was endorsed by the government. Uh, and um, Steve Earle was in the country at the time, I think, uh, supporting what, as you went and informed me, what would have been the El Corazon tour. Uh, I think he might have been playing in Melbourne at the Prince of Wales Hotel. And uh, I didn't see him on that particular tour, saw him on, I think, a tour further on down the line. But um, uh, Steve, who had taken a great interest in the events of the day, uh, went and cursed out our uh, then uh, conservative government with words like, fuck the Howard government or something, words to that effect. You know, please, if you were out there at the gig, correct me if I got that wrong. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, political well-being and welfare of, of uh, the people, as it were, is uh, something that I guess is on a lot on Steve Earle's mind. And um, the first song, Christmas Time in Washington, I guess is there's really two prongs to this song. There's uh, as much a lament about how he perceived that the Clinton government had gone and failed the people, and it was written. I think he went and wrote it uh, on the eve of their the Clinton government's re-election to their second term and how he said that they, what was it, was a line in it, uh, they geared up for four more years of things not getting worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that side of the statement on the, how the government of the day had been failing them, but also it's uh, homage to um, uh, who would have been his hero, Woody Guthrie. Come back, Woody Guthrie, come back to us now. Um, and uh, you know, not so. You know, America needs you, needs your uh, sharp observation, your your songwriting, your observation um, about uh, the state of the nation. We could really use someone like you. Um, so it all all ran an incredible album opener. Yeah, I think you're right. It was um, certainly <clears throat> certainly that, that was the historical context, and uh, yeah, the, the the Democrats were sort of fairly wet and ineffectual, and the the Republicans were unelectable. Um, people were being told that everything was all right. You know, shut up, go back, watch American Gladiators. Everything will be fine. <laughs> um, if I can uh, pinch from uh, what's his name, Bill Hicks, the comedian there. Um, you know, so I think Steve Earle was uh, was sort of at a, a similar similar stage himself. He knew that something something had to change, something had to go somewhere, and you know he was looking for a bit of inspiration and of course you, you fall back to the guys that inspired you in, in the past and, and Woody Guthrie was certainly a big influence on him uh, Towns Van Zandt had died two years previously um, so you know Steve was uh, Steve was looking for for new definition new direction himself I think mm-hmm. um, interestingly you know the, the the I don't know where Steve stands on religion or not but there are some religious themes through some of his um, his music and Interestingly, in that song, he even says, you know, it says to Woody Guthrie, if you can find Jesus Christ, then perhaps he can help you out. Mm-hmm. So he's even, you know, he's even saying, you know, it's gone beyond that kind of level of mm-hmm. help. You've got to go to the top. You've got to go to Woody. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in, uh, and we all know that, you know, Woody's, um, Woody's main thing was his social commentary. You know, he could pick out exactly what was wrong with the situation and... And, and it all just basically came down to people weren't being decent to people. I mm. think for Woody Guthrie, I think Steve Earle sees a lot of that, and you hear a lot of it in some of his narrative songs as well. Mm. But a very strong, very strong uh, album opener, and, and the comeback Woody Guthrie and, and Steve's sort of whispering sandpaper voice kind of um, 
kind of works, I think. Mm. Is that a Calliope that uh, I think they're playing in the background? That song? I'm not quite sure what it is, but there's some really unusual instrument that's playing... A harmonium? Harmonium. Harmonium. Yeah, what about the Calliope? is like the, the, the wind-up wind thing with a monkey. No, <laughs> it's but uh, but um, yeah, no, fantastic opener to the album. Fairly gentle and then uh, it's almost like uh, you know, song two into the album, Tanny Town. It's like, right, had the gentle opener, let's crank it up here. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, musically, so this song, I guess, is uh, a bit of a, what I'd call a Springsteen Dylan-esque lyric um, and a great narrative. It's um, uh, the first person tale of uh, a young young uh, black man, maybe 22, 23 years old or something like that, who goes, uh, leaves his country area to go to visit a town called Tanny Town that his uh, mother has told him, no, don't go there, don't go there. And it's obviously a, a, a white populated town where he's stared at in such a fashion. What are you doing here? You have no right to be here. Um, and uh, he's followed down a dark road by a, a gang of thugs. Um, but uh, fortunately our protagonist he, uh, he has a knife in his pocket, uh, which he uses to defend himself, but he ends up killing one of the, uh, the thugs who attacks him, runs off down the road scared, dropping the knife. He gets home and he finds out that, in fact, unfortunately, another black man, uh, they, they had to find a scapegoat. The, this other black man found the knife, took it, and um, uh, some, some, uh, some white folks who were, who were out for blood, out for revenge, took him and hung him. Uh, so unfortunately an innocent died uh, because uh, another man had to defend himself. Um, lyrically, this sort of reminded me uh, of uh, a Dylan song uh, called The Death of Emmett Till, uh, which is actually a third person song once again about um, uh, a young, young black man who uh, uh, went into a bar and was beaten, beaten to death by, um, by, uh, uh, by some white guys, some thugs. Uh, who uh, end up going to, going to court, but um, of course, all white jury. Rings of Hurricane a bit, doesn't it, I guess? Mm. Um, Once and Death of Hattie Carroll. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, common even, theme. So. Even Steve's song Justice in Ontario as mm. well. There's the whole, that whole theme of injustice and mm. odd quirks of you know, so called justice in this case. I find it interesting because yeah, um, uh, Steve has gone and said, uh, Steve once said on the occasion that. Um, He'd stand on a co- on your coffee table in his cowboy boots and proclaim that Towns Van Zant was a better songwriter than Bob Dylan at his peak any day, and yet this really does have tones of Dylan. Having said that, I haven't really listened to that much Towns Van Zant, so I can't say whether it takes anything from uh, Towns for that. No, I must admit, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not. I'm not someone who's got could talk with any authority on on Towns Van Zant. Mm-hmm. Um, even Steve's recent uh, release of just called Towns where he, he did a lot of Towns Van Zandt songs I've got it um, maybe played it once <laughs> didn't didn't grab me but again it may be something that I'll, I'll come back to and listen to you know and, um, but you know this song uh, Tiny Town it's, it's I don't know what, quite what to do with that song it's, it's, it's kind of problematic isn't it it's not sort of it's not sort of justice was done or poetic justice it's just wrong on all levels that it's, story well, well, it is, it is a very, it is a very dark song. There is no happy ending uh, to this, but I guess, you know, Steve would argue, well, that's that's life. That's, re- that's real life. There isn't no. You know, the one justice was served. Everyone's everyone's good because he knows that that's not 
the mm. real the real story. I mean, the one bright spot in this song for me, and the, the dark arrangement and all the rest of it, has to be Amy Lou Harris's voice. Mm. He's in there on that one. Uh, and, and some uh, some great harmonica mm. throwing throwing in there, a bit of a harmonica solo, I guess. But uh, yeah, now lyrically, a, a wonderful wonderful story there, and. Um, yeah, you imagine so he's been listening to the greats and probably reading a lot of great American literature as well mm. um, uh, as inspiration for that. Uh, so they're, they're really, I think, that, that uh, set of two songs opening up the album is probably about as uh, political and, and, and um, standing on justice that he gets. The rest of the album uh, deals with... Um, uh, uh, matters of the heart. Well, we'll get we'll get to some of those now. Uh, so the next song, "If You Fall." You got any comments on this one? Yeah, that's a brilliant bloke song, isn't it? It is. Um, I love the way that he, he he spends the entire song warning this presumably other younger man of uh, of this girl. You know, don't fall for her, don't go after her. You'll get hurt. It'll be horrible. It'll be rotten. And then in the last verse, turns around and says, "Yeah, but I'm going for her myself." <laughs> <laughs> We've all done that. <laughs> Uh, hopefully back in high school for most of us but, uh, <laughs> you know we've all we've all been there you can identify with that and I think it's just a, a throwaway manipulative bloke song it's, mm. uh, but it's you know it's a really it just works it sounds the, the good sting in the tail mm. Mm. yeah no I, I agree I think it's I think it's very clever and it's sort of like that sting in the tail is what stops it from being I guess maybe just another oh I love her I want her too mm. type of song no no keep away she's she's bad for you she's no good for you but uh, no, interesting yeah great sting in the towel there um, and it's probably good to mention that uh, probably because it's an indefinable quality that Steve has but some of these songs in the hands of someone else the lyrics could have been a little bit more trite because he does go down a well-worn country path or pop path lyrically on mm. some of these some of these tunes um, mm. I love you I miss you I'm gonna cry in my beer type of thing um, but but he, he I don't know it's what Steve's quality is that he keeps it from being mundane or keeps it from uh, becoming trite uh, for instance so the next song on the album I Still Carry You Around done with the, uh, the Del McElroy band uh, great bluegrass this is his bluegrass number for the album and um, I guess a uh, a bit of a taste of uh, the album that was a follow-up to Across. I mean, was uh, the Mountain the album that came straight after this? Oh, I can't think of the chronology. I think you're probably about right. Mm. It's in there somewhere. But yeah, he was certainly recording with with that band, and um, I think he wrote this. I think he wrote this song specifically so he'd have something to record with them after mm. performing mm. live on stage with them at one stage. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it, one, it, it is. It, it's a common theme: uh, emotional attachment to a previous lover. Um, I wish I could give you up, but um, I still carry you around in my heart. But uh, it's it's Steve Earle, folks, not Michael Bolton, so uh, you can live with it. Yeah, I think at that stage, he's, I think y- you can probably look at what was going on in Steve's life, and there's still uh, hankerings after his uh, fifth wife. <laughs> That's fifth. So Alison Moore is what number She's seven? She's number seven. Yeah. Well, technically six because he married the same one twice. But so he and so he and Elizabeth Taylor both had umpteen marriage. They had the seven marriages, and both of them married an ex-partner Ooh. twice. Yeah, I think Steve Fantastic. famously once said that uh, he was after a wife for each letter of the alphabet. So. <laughs> so, he's done the vowels. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I think he was still hankering after Teresa a bit, you know, I think he's probably said the same himself in conversation mm. 
interviews and stuff himself at some stage as well. But mm. um, yeah, the idea that you know your your love and your attachment to somebody really, even when you're split up and going away from them, still sort of hangs around to some degree. Or you know maybe in the first place you weren't actually doing it right if mm. it doesn't. So maybe he is singing to all his ex-wives in this song. Oh, the old to all the girls I've loved before. Oh no, <laughs> no, but even Steve could possibly make that one sound all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can't be a bit of Julio Iglesias, can you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, interesting that I, I find a, a lot of good songwriters can do this. I mean, the really good songwriters where they can take uh, a fairly morose theme. Not that this, is, I guess, is morose, but it's certainly you know quite down. But he set it to a fairly up-tempo, uh, major key type of uh, mm. uh, country tune uh, or bluegrass tune. Um, and so there's that lyrical and musical contradiction. The, the, the lyrics are saying, "I miss you. I really should shouldn't have left you, and we you know really shouldn't have had such a miserable time together." And the music saying, "Hey, let's dance a jig. Things are really great in my life." Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a weird sort of paradox, isn't it? I mean, it I, I, I do like that. I mean, I can, again, I can identify with it. You know, I don't know. You know, a lot of people have had relationships that we think, why did that end? Oh yeah, I know why it ended. And it's still there. Mm. It's still, you know, it's still getting space in your head rent free. Mm. You know, <laughs> I don't know why that should be. It's just, it just is. And you know, what could you do? What are you going to do about it? What can you? How can you evict it? doesn't matter you know you're getting a new relationship and that can be the most fantastic thing ever but if you know you still carry her around mm. the next song on the album telephone road now speaking of contradictions i sort of i find this interesting because he uses um uh the fairfield four mm. who i think are actually a five-piece um gospel group um and for a while there i think they were the um the uh, uh pop artist gospel group of choice so we had the Fairfield Four singing here with Steve Earle they sang with Elvis Costello um, on a song called That Day Is Done which he'd originally written I think Paul McCartney had had a shot at it first Paul McCartney and Elvis Costello wrote it together it's a great song McCartney completely screwed it up but (laughs) Elvis brought the gospel side out of it and bring the Fairfield Four on was a stroke of absolute genius and sounds absolutely brilliant and then um uh, the Fairfield Four were um, singing on, uh, I think, John Fogarty's comeback album of uh, the late 90s, uh, was it Blue Moon Fever, on a song called uh, 110 in the Shade. And uh, so uh, Fairfield Four were obviously you know, probably getting a whole lot more people coming to their gigs who weren't necessarily up about <laughs> praising the Lord, but uh, saying, so, you know, do that song you do with Elvis. And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, we're, we're going to do we're going to do um, some of our own material. Praise the Lord and pass the dynamite. Um, yeah, it's, but, a, it's a funny funny song to have um, you know gospel kind of input on because it's it's a classic escape song. It's a classic run away from my humdrum existence, go to the big smoke, and well, basically get drunk and live it up with my brother. It's a hedonistic song. <laughs> this is not a song of uh, of uh, Christianity or a song of religion. This is a song I'm, I'm going to yeah. My my two brothers there. They've uh, escaped from Lafayette to go... Um, Not to go carousing. They, and, uh, want go, they want to go to Houston and have a great time and get drunk and get laid. And, yeah, um, and party. My mum won't let me do that, but bugger it, I'm going to go follow her and, geez, I've gone and found myself a job in an oil rig and, you know what, I don't think I'm going home to Lafayette anytime soon. I think <laughs> I can quite get used to this life. I wonder whether Steve told the Fairfield for what the lyrics of the song were actually going to be about. Oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure they probably did, but I guess, you know, a lot of a lot of the interviews and a lot of stuff I've read about 
guys who have performed with Steve Earle that there's something sort of charismatic about him once he gets the guitar in his hand and, and he's in recording mode he mm. just sort of pulls everyone along with him and they just want to do whatever it is he wants to do and I dare say the Fairfield Four were the same and mm. well, you know, did I say it, they might have saw a bit of a commercial opportunity well, <laughs> getting more people getting more people in to see them and uh Maybe can convert them to the to uh, to the light, mm. as and, it were. And then escaping small town for the big smoke and the good times is something that goes through a lot of Steve's early music as yeah. well. Um, Trying to think of one some someday from Guitar Town, so I'm going to get out of here someday, and you know mm. these kinds of mm. these kinds of themes, you know. So yeah, it's, it's not unusual to see him coming back and, and and doing it again. But I particularly like on that on that song the um, the sort of bits of the saxophone that just appear mm. um, I forget who's playing it I could actually probably look on the it's a low saxophone no uh, yeah a baritone or baritone for sure yeah. Yeah. not uh, I, would, I would have thought having a, a, a corny high pitched thing would have uh, completely ruined it Michael Bolton eyes it I would have thought <laughs> there I go oh. have you got a thing for Michael Bolton uh, absolutely no, not. Not. no it sounds, sounds <laughs> like you're, you're protesting too much uh, oh, oh dear so he who he who <laughs> Dealt it, smelt it, or something yeah. like that. Dan, you've caught me out. Yeah. Oh, dear. So, where do we go from here? Somewhere out there, the next song on the album. I don't have a whole lot to say about this one, um, although there, there is a lovely lyric in there. Uh, when I lay me down to sleep, my one and only prayer is you'll, you'll keep safe from harm till I get wherever you are, somewhere out there. Uh, a lover's, not so much a lover's regret, but I miss you and. Uh, just look after yourself, sort of thing. A very, very sweet. I mean, it's been done to death. But yeah, I think it's the um, it's the natural sort of end point of the uh, "I Still Carry You Around" theme mm. yep. in that yep. song. It's uh, you said earlier about you know how, how do you stop this? Mm. How do you get rid of it? Well, I think getting the uh, taking on the hope you're well and hope you're doing okay and mm. hope we can both get to where we need to be, mm. whatever that might be. And again, probably still hanging around. You know, Teresa hanging around his head. Mm. You know, and uh, again, I can identify, you know, I've been there, Steve, still do it. You know, mm. it's, uh, you know, but yeah, I think that's uh, it's a simple little song. and But it, again, it just sort of, it just kind of works. You know, it, another arrangement, another voice, another singer, it could have been, it could have been trite, it could have been the done to death. Heard it a million times, but, you know, I think, I think because he just does it in a sort of human, human way that, you know, yeah, you're out there somewhere. Hope it's all good. Mm. You know, it just works. Yeah, I think maybe because he's more. I I I know it's a, a common thing for uh, uh, songwriters to say this sort of thing, but I really believe it that uh, in his case anyway, a lot of songwriters all say, "Oh, I just write it for myself, and if people like it out there, well, well and good." Um, which I think is a load of old codswallop, but certainly um, I think in this case, uh, Steve is writing something that he will find orally, aesthetically pleasing um, rather than trying to craft something that's lyrically perfect. I mean, mm. I still, I wouldn't necessarily put him in um, as a lyricist in the same bag, like as a clever songwriter, someone like uh, John Hyatt or, or Richard Thompson. See, I told you I was going to bring John Hyatt into it somehow. <laughs> um, I certainly think John Hyatt's a cleverer lyricist, but... Um, but Earl just thinks, well, you know, fuck it. I'm, I want to be say what I really feel. This is what's in my heart, and um, it, 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 it never reeks of insincerity like mm. uh, a lot of 
uh, a lot more commercial songwriters might have done. Yeah, I agree. I think I think definitely it's, it's a very personal song for Steve, but um, but like John Hyatt, he does it in that way that it it says a lot about what's going on for him and how he's feeling, but it can also speak to us, mm-hmm. you know, quite easily without being designed to do so. Yep. So where do we go from here? The next song, you know the rest. This is a very funny song. I mean, this sounds like, even by his own confession, this is a song that he knocked off possibly because he was two or three minutes short on the album. He needed a, a filler, but it is a funny, funny song. Uh, so it even goes to show, I guess, when he's um, trying to just knock up something quick, he can do something clever. Uh, Earl, you know, verse by verse tells stories, which I, I know, sort of compare it in a little way to Highway 61 revisited, maybe, uh, but you know, but more in a more in a humorous fashion. The first verse, you know, Moses climbed the mountain. Yeah, yeah, you know the rest. Columbus sailed for India, got America instead. Yeah, you know the rest. Davy Crockett, blah blah blah. Robert Johnson met the devil at the crossroads. Yeah, you know the rest. Uh, I can't fathom why I'm writing this song. <laughs> I can't think of anything else to write. Blah blah blah. You know the rest. And it's it's sort of a bit disarming. You know, mm. it's quite quite funny. And he's probably thinking, no, don't laugh. I'm, I'm being sincere. I can't imagine why the fuck I'm writing this. I don't know. Is he thinking that he can't? Is it that particular song that he can't fathom why he's writing, or is he talking about these historical characters at pivotal moments in their life? Um, Maybe, maybe it's a, a metaphor for maybe it's an academic maybe it's an academic exercise. You know, that, like, that, that's a that's a thing that a song uh, songwriters occasionally do. It's not there's not one story, there's not one theme. Every verse is going to have like a little story all its own. And Richard Thompson um, did it on uh, uh, an album, a couple of albums back. Uh, so, I can't remember the name of the album. The song is called Needle and Thread, and uh, each verse told a different story about someone. Um, he used a metaphor, needle and thread, of someone sewing their life back together. So, you know, one woman's given up drugs, another person's given up prostitution, and he's, they're using needle and thread, and they're going to sew their soul back together again, or sew their soul back together again. So each verse, a different story. I guess he's, it might be sort of like a, uh, um, you know, I'll pull this songwriter's trick out of my bag here because I desperately need it. I've got two minutes to fill. But it's a funny song. Um, Next, a song that I think is my personal favourite on the album. Um, you want to lead us through this? Go, go start to uh, NYC, New York mm. City. Yeah, um, yeah. Steve's uh, Steve L's midlife crisis, I think, set to music. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, the guitar man uh, heading to New York because the girls are pretty, basically, and uh, meets the guitar man on the way back from New York City when it didn't work, and you know, it, and the the guy's faced with a dilemma of, you know, do I? Uh, do I ruin this guy's journey by telling him that it's, uh, you know, the streets aren't all paved with gold and it, it can be a bit bad, or uh, do I let him make his own mistakes and, you know, obviously in the end gives him 20 bucks and tells him to get on with it. So, Give him hell. Yeah, go and, go, and, go and do what I couldn't do sort mm. of thing. Um, yeah, so I think, it's, I think it's Steve saying that, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, realising now that his journey so far, you know, yeah, he, he can pass on his experience and help, you know, help other people to avoid some of the mistakes he's made but then again you know maybe you just got to let people make their own mistakes and mm. be there with the 20 bucks to help them out when the time comes mm. um, also I remember reading something Steve Verrill talking about this song and, and saying it was partly written out of um, fear of going to a city where he always wanted to go and live but because of his own addictions and susceptibilities that he thought maybe he never could you know, well now that you know, it's it's come full circle now because I believe Steve L does live in New York now. Mm, he um, does. 
and has written some some very interesting songs about living in New York. Mm. So uh, yeah, so an, an interesting song, and you know, it's one of his one of his good sort of rocker type songs, and it with uh, the super suckers playing on this one. Yeah, I mean, the, the only bit that the only bit that doesn't I don't kind of get is uh, I, th- I think I've got the right song. This is the one that he sounds like he's singing through a megaphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's I've never song. ever understood that. I just don't get that. Springsteen's done it a couple of times. It just—I'm sure it's—I'm sure it's interesting artistically and it's making a statement about something somewhere along the line. But I just don't get it. It just sounds dumb. It would have been would have been worse if he'd done the whole song through. But fortunately, he doesn't. Yeah, mm. but you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what that's about. I don't—I don't get that. Maybe uh, maybe you know, Morris. Can you tell oh, me? I'm, a, I'm afraid I don't. I, yeah. I don't know. I'd have to uh, go look up the songwriter's guide. The uh, the megaphone is a. Uh, there's a metaphor for getting yourself heard. Maybe, oh, maybe that's it. Yeah, go to New York City, you've got to yell to make yourself heard you or you can it. talk through a megaphone. That's Spot on. Has to be. Thank you. Has good. To be. Good. I'm glad we had this conversation. Our lives are complete. Yeah, yep, I can now understand that. It's all over for me. I've heard it all now. Um, I sort of see this song maybe as a bit of a companion and I, because any chance to talk about John Hyatt. Uh, okay. To, you know, that bloke, um, that songwriter, the, oh, he looks a bit like Tommy Lee Jones, that's the one. <laughs> um, uh, he, his song of stolen moments, Rock Back Billy, mm. sort of uh, encouraging, you know, you might see this young guy with a guitar and all i got to say for you is, go cat, go, Rock Back <laughs> Billy. Um, in, encouraging the next generation of, uh, of musicians who may or may not make it. But, um, but yeah, so you're right, I, I, I do agree, his, his midlife crisis and even for a minute it's interesting because the first part of the song is purely about this hitchhiker mm. getting into the car and he says i'm going to make it in new york city i'm going to do this and it's all told from his perspective then it gets to the last verse and uh steve recall you know looking at, i went to new york all these years ago and it really dicked me around and the girls were nice but they were cold and i couldn't make anything of myself i really wanted to set him straight but i thought no off you go here, 20 bucks, give them hell. Yeah. Um, so the second half of the song becomes a different song. And I, I like that, where, you know, not from the beginning, it's not completely predictable. It's not going to go how it's going to go. And it's a, a very clever piece of songwriting there. Yeah, and I, I think Steve looking for direction again, um, similar to the, 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 the previous song. You know, maybe you could argue that it was sort of Steve was at a pivotal moment and was just sort of fishing around in his own, his own sort of catalogue and his own abilities to see where he might go next mm. you know and the next song on the album he, he comes back to a, a theme that's uh, you know very strong in not only this album but a lot of Steve's work um, you know very very sad song about a relationship really I didn't know he wrote many of those well, I, th- <laughs> I think there's one on his first album maybe oh, yeah. a couple on his second oh, okay. most of his third <laughs> Uh, transcendental blues. Yeah, and, all of that. All of that. that w- w- I think he called that the girly album or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but I mean, I, I really must admit, I do love this song, Poison Lovers. Mm. I don't know why. It's 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 probably one of the ones that, arrangement-wise and musical-wise, it's Steve's done it a lot. But there's something in the words that just it it just works. It's that sort of the attraction of dislike. Mm. You know what I mean? How people are. This couple are brought together repeatedly, mm. even though they know they're bad for each other, and it all turns out wrong every time. Mm. But they just can't help it, you and know. The poisoned lovers. The poisoned lovers. Mm. Mm. Uh, sung by um, uh, Steve with uh, Simon. Ken- is that how it's pronounced? Siobhan. Siobhan. 
She won't excuse me. Do you know anything about her? Uh, beyond that she's Ray Kennedy's wife, not uh, really a Ray lot. Ray Kennedy, no. who was a producer of the producer album. Producer and, and plays uh, plays on some of the songs mm. on this one. Not really something I've looked into, but she's got a very nice voice. And she's a lovely voice. <laughs> um, but again, an, a, another one that this, this song kind of made me think of was... Uh, this song's about addiction. Okay. Um, addiction to the relationship that he talks about on the literal level, but I think addiction and on the metaphoric level behind it in the song. You know, you keep going back to something that's sort of good, but then ultimately just does not work, but you can't stop it. Mm. You're stuck there, and you just keep going at it over and over and over. I think it fits in with sort of the reflective nature of the latter half or the middle of this album. Mm. He's reflecting on his direction, and this is maybe him reflecting on where he's been. Um, and, you know, there's... There's always something kind of attractive to to that to the addict to know that you know that's all still there yeah that's all still there because when you're going through it you kind of like it in some ways mm-hmm. um, and I think that's maybe Steve just sort of reaffirming to himself that you know all that stuff's still available but you know I'm looking at new directions now and I'm looking at a new way of new way of moving forward and um, so he's written this song to sort of parallel it with a, a relationship. Um, and you know it works really well for me on that level I don't know I may be reading something completely different into it than what was in- intended or totally different to what anybody else gets out of it and I think in the uh, ill-fated John Hyatt discussion um, <laughs> it was a theme that came through in, in Bring the Family as Indeed. well because uh, you know at that stage uh, Hyatt himself was fairly newly sober and you know there was a lot of those issues still hanging around and, and, and in the forefront of some of the the issues that he, he covered on that album, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, maybe I'm just being selfish and, and, and <laughs> thinking oh, about myself and how works, I relate to it. All. Works for me. Works for me. I think it's a I think it's a good interpretation. That's that, folks, is why I get Jeff on the show because he comes up with these great interpretations. Uh, so, uh, can you tell me what um, Rubber Ducky from Sesame Street's about? Wouldn't have a clue. Oh. <laughs> no, never right, heard. You're out. Never, never heard it. <laughs> Um, the Other Side of Town. Now, it's interesting, we were speaking before about Hank Williams, and this is a Hank Williams... I mean, it's not... A, literally, it's not written a Hank Williams song, but this sounds like um, Steve wanted to pay tribute to uh, Hank, and he beautifully does it here. Um, you know, old-timey tune. Actually, the first thought that maybe um, the Del McElroy band might have been responsible for this, because it's really apart from... Um, Oh, how far back do I need to go? Uh, apart from I saw Carry You Around, it's uh, the only sort of you know, traditional sounding country song on the album. Uh, uh, other, uh, but uh, no, it's not. Uh, the Other Side of Town, uh, uh, this is sort of a metaphorical, you know, take a trip to the other side of town where everyone's sad and it's, it's a, this is really a very old time, true country cry near beer mm. type of song uh but you know by the end of it you know if you're, if you're not feeling great well you'll know not to spend the rest of your life on the other side of town <laughs> you know things aren't quite so bad where you are and it's uh mm. i don't know maybe a tale of caution don't always be so down and despondent the grass isn't always greener anywhere else mm. um, yes that's funny to, funny that you, you, you interpret it that way um I, I would interpret it the other way. Oh, please. Is it a song um, about addiction? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. It's a, no, it's a song about... I see the other side of town, not somewhere where the grass is greener and all the rest of it, but so the other side of town is somewhere where you can just 
go and hide out with your misery and your darkness and your depression and your you know whatever it is that's 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 taking you down because everybody there is like that you know it's just but you know he, he's at least got to the the real, realization by the end of the song you know don't stick around here it's you know it's not good it's not healthy um, I think it's you know Steve I think it's Steve sort of again reflecting on where he's been and where he's where he's come from and. Um, but again, almost, almost with that reverential tone, and you know, interesting you mentioned Hank Williams there because I think, yeah, I think you could be spot on there. I think there's a lot of identification between Steve and Hank Williams there going on. You know, mm-hmm. what, how things wound up for Hank Williams, and you know, Steve can look back and see, well, it didn't have to be that way um, because of you know Steve's own own journey, his own. Uh, Vacation in the ghetto, mm-hmm. which is you know this song could be describing the ghetto that he took that vacation in, which is a, a very black place, both both you know really and mentally. Um, so yeah, again I could be again I could be completely wrong. I mean maybe one day Stevie I'll come out and explain some of these songs and say you know um, the other side of town is actually a cheery song about you know <laughs> going and hanging out in the good neighbourhoods and trying to cheer yourself up. <laughs> but you know Stevie and cheery songs. Nah. I don't know if that's going to ever happen, is I it? I don't think it'd be yeah. healthy for the music industry. So, especially as he um, seems to be at the moment uh, kind of... Um, in love. In love and completely and utterly caught up in writing bland, schmaltzy love stories. <laughs> if uh, anyone who's bought the recent album probably uh, probably could attest to. Uh, only a couple more songs. Here I am. I don't know if there's actually much to say about this. This is not a song I've ever really particularly cared for. I think this is a pretty much by the book. Uh, rock number? Any any thoughts? Anything? No, I think it's uh, it's Steve Earle's manifesto. Uh, yeah. um, his son plays on it. I think this is the one that his son's on. Is it? Like yes, it is. Guitar, yeah. Yep. yep. Um, it's just a sort of arrogant, almost sort of. Here I am. This is what I've done. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm like now. Like me or lump me, leave me alone. Well, he's done that. I think he did that better though. When I'm all right. Yeah, maybe. maybe. The um, title song there was, you know, you don't like me. Screw you! I'm, mm. I'm here. I've gone through all this shit in my life, but guess what? I'm all right now, and you know, then mm. watch out for me. Yeah, so he's, he's done yeah. it for him better. I think I'm all right now is possibly one of you know, Steve's optimistic songs. Mm. Um, well, as optimistic as it gets with Steve Earle, but you know, no, I quite like this. Here I am. I quite like that song. And again, it's just the the music, not so much as the words in this in this case. The music kind of just I don't know what's the word. Uh, oscillates mm. is that the word no that's not the word no, no there's a better word than that I'm it sure. resonates that's the ah, word ah resonates okay. resonates I knew it ended yeah, that, not, not oscillates yeah. there's something different yeah that's, 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 that's uh, vibrating isn't it uh, yes yeah. oh, we're back at the Beach Boys <laughs> we'll have to talk about the Beach Boys album last week uh, oh, <laughs> who am I dealing with why why do I hang out oh, I love the Beach Boys but I couldn't I couldn't eat a whole one um Fort Worth Blues, the album closer. Musically, this is uh, a good bookend because the album opens mm. gently, closes gently. But you know, we're, they're both personal songs. Well, I get. Well, sorry. Christmas time in Washington is you know cr- uh, his personal plea, if you will, to uh, uh, Woody Guthrie. Please, you know, give me inspiration, help me deal with these times. Fort Worth Blues, um, I guess, is his uh, uh, ode to uh, Towns Van Zant and um, having to travel all over the world and uh, never really having one place to uh, to call home. Mm, definitely, yeah, he's a tribute to, to Tanz Van Zandt and um, 
a very sort of sad song, really. Mm. But then, you know, from what little I know of Towns Van Zandt, he was a very sad character. Um, I mean that in the terms of melancholy, really, rather than sad as people would call it, say these days. But, mm. you know, I don't think he was ever a, a particularly happy chappy, Towns Van Zandt. Um, and, yeah, like you said, you know, he takes himself all over the world, goes to all these great glamorous places, but, how you know, unfortunately always finds himself there. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I read somewhere that this song was, the first time this song was performed live, uh, Steve was on stage next to Nancy Griffiths, and she heard this performance of this song, and it just moved her so much that she couldn't do it, and she just stood there and cried all the way through it. Mm. And, you know, announced afterwards that, you know, Steve Al had to be one of the greatest songwriters ever if he could do that to her. Mm. And, uh, you know, Nancy Griffiths says that about someone, you know, she, she's not going to be far wrong, I don't think. I think she, she knows a good one when she sees she, one. She knows that she knows how to write a good song herself. So. Mm. Mm. Well, I think we've come to the end. We've, uh, we've said all we have to say. Any final comments about the album overall or about Steve, uh, where he went to after this? Um, no, I'd just, like to, I'd just like to point out thanks, Morris. It's been good to, uh, good to reacquaint myself with that, uh, that album that I hadn't previously liked and didn't really know very well. Um, but now, you know, I think, yeah, definitely I do like it. I wouldn't, wouldn't put it in my top two or three Steve Earle albums, but, um, yeah, definitely one that, uh, you know, a, a forgotten gem, mm. really. There's some, some cracking stuff on there, and, uh, you know, whether we're, uh, whether we're going to sh- talk about Steve Earle ever again or not, um, I'm certainly going to go and seek out, you know, from the collection some of his, his other ones that I've uh, ignored or, uh, you know, chosen to avoid. Um, for a while and, and, and see how my, uh, my listening to them has changed with you know what's changed in my life and what's changed in you know and, and the parallels with Steve's life and, and how, it, how it all hangs together now you know maybe I'll st- start identifying less with the, uh, the angry rocker the confused you know just railing against everything guy from the, the early albums and, uh, and sort of be a bit more settled now and like, like some of the messages that he's, he's, he's saying in, in these ones but uh, um, hopefully you'll uh, not lose sight totally of the, you know, the angst and the politicism and, and all the rest of it, and get bogged down and, and being completely loved up with Alison Moorer. But I don't think there's any chance of that. No, um, but you know he is uh, currently touring. I don't know if there's any um, plans to come to Australia at this stage, but he's been extensively in uh, in the States. He's he's in Europe at the moment, so you know hopefully they'll they'll come over here. But uh, you know. What he should do is put the band back together, get Steve Earle and the Dukes back on the road. None of this Steve Earle and the Dukes and Duchesses are now <laughs> billing themselves. <laughs> so maybe Alison is a bit like uh, Bruce Springsteen's first lady of uh, wrestling, Patty Siafla. Yeah, she's a good, uh, she's a good support artist, but you know, does she belong in the band? Who knows? Maybe somebody's got to do the dishes. Hey? Oh, 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 that's. Can't stay in the podcast, or maybe it will. I'll get my coat. (laughs) All right. Thanks very much for uh, listening to uh, this episode of uh, Love That Album. It's been uh, just a heap of fun sitting here and uh, chatting with with, with Jeff about love, about, about, well, about love songs. Absolutely. And political songs. Uh, Chatting about Steve El Corazon, El Corazon, how we choose to pronounce it. (laughs) album i'm not sure what the next one is going to be i know that uh sometime in the next couple of weeks i'll be recording with uh the good dr zom of uh the silver and gold podcast talking about the who's quadrophenia and got about at least another three or four uh podcasts uh planned 
so I've got a fair bit going over the next couple of months uh, to record for you all to um, hopefully listen into. And um, if you want to uh, provide me with any feedback, I'd be absolutely thrilled to receive it. Either uh, send me an email at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au or you can uh, leave some feedback at my uh, blog website that's lovethatalbum.blogspot.com where you can also either listen to this podcast streaming or download it uh, from the website or you can download this the um, download the podcast from uh, iTunes just type in love that album or one word into um, iTunes and hopefully that will uh, lead you there as well and uh, if you want to leave some feedback at iTunes uh, I hugely appreciate that too Um, but uh, failing any of that I hope uh, that you've enjoyed this and uh, we should have another episode in a couple of weeks for you so uh, happy listening Uh, listen to a lot of great albums try something new try something adventurous Uh, watch some great movies and um, We'll speak to you soon. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Morris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.